This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, what's up, everybody? Chris Trapasso from CBSSports.com here for another episode of the Prospect Podcast with regular guest Matthew Collar from Purple Insider Podcast, which is also a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. And on today's episode, we are going to run through ESPN Todd McShay's latest mock draft that came out right after the Super Bowl. And this seems like, why are you doing this? This is kind of a futile exercise this far away from the draft. I think McShay is still one of the top four or five most plugged in NFL insiders when it comes to the draft. And I think you can glean a lot of information from his mock drafts every time they come up because he's talking to a lot of general managers, college scouting directors, even coaches. Uh, and just scout so he can give you a good idea of the ranges of where the NFL as a whole feels about certain prospects a lot better than really anyone else can. I think McShay, Mel Kuyper, Daniel Jeremiah, Lance Zerline, even Peter Schrager, once we get into April, he's very plugged in, comes up with a few mock drafts that are very insightful. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Todd McShay's, I think it's mock draft 2.0. And I'll start with you, Matt. Um, what team or which teams in this mock are the most fascinating to you um, just based on what Todd McShay did in his mock draft 2.0? So I have a list of five teams that I made that are the most interesting, and you have a list of the players that you think are most interesting. So I'm just going to start at the top of my list, and then we can bounce back and forth from there. I began with him having a trade of the Carolina Panthers trading up to take not um, Justin Fields, which is what I would have expected at number three with the Miami Dolphins, but instead Trey Lance. And I'm certain this made your list as well, because having Trey Lance over Justin Fields, I think is something that uh, there's been a lot of hesitation to do that I haven't really seen people do. And like you said, when McShay says it, you wonder, okay, who's saying it in the NFL that Trey Lance is a better prospect than Justin Fields? You know, it's a little odd to me is that Justin Fields and his draft stock seems to have kind of wavered all over the place a little bit from he's going to be number two clear cut at the beginning of the season. And then he has a great season and he plays really well in one of the final four Four games and you know not too bad against Alabama all things considered his offensive line got Mahomes we'll call it in, in that in that game and yet he kept battling and all the way to the end I thought he played 
hard and, and made some good throws in the national championship. But, you know, I don't think that that should have swung his draft stock at all. Trey Lance, we have not seen play the football outside of one game this year. And even when he was playing a full season in 2019, he wasn't throwing that many passes. And it really makes you wonder about him and his draft stock that people projecting him all the way at the top could be either really right or really wrong that he could end up at the, you know, the 18th pick, or he could drop in the first round. It's all going to depend probably on what they see when it comes to that pro day. And these, uh, I don't know what exactly type of mini combines that they're trying to put together, but that one right there, Carolina, they seem desperate to get a quarterback. And I think a trade up makes a ton of sense for them. Um, But to take Trey Lance is really, really, I think a risk for them overtaking Justin Fields, but also very intriguing that that's the projection. Okay, so Matt and I did not tell each other our list. Matt's going to run through the five most fascinating teams, and I'm going to run through the five most fascinating prospects in this mock draft. But it's a perfect segue because Trey Lance going number three overall to the Carolina Panthers with Justin Fields still on the board. That was my number one most fascinating prospect. I think a little bit with this is what I had mentioned on previous episodes that The fit there, Trey Lance, this raw quarterback, can sit behind Teddy Bridgewater for a season, uh, does a lot of things really well in terms of his arm and his athleticism, that Teddy Bridgewater, they they would be a weakness for Teddy Bridgewater's game and vice versa, that when it comes to reading a defense, being hyper accurate, understanding when to hit his check down, that's really not part of Trey Lance's game at this point, and that's where... Teddy Bridgewater thrives. I think that's why it's a little easier for McShay to put Trey Lance there over Justin Fields. But to your point about Fields, I think the Indiana game and the first half of the Northwestern game in the Big Ten title seem to really sway or scare a lot of general managers and head coaches and scouts because you're right, the rest of Justin Fields' final season at Ohio State was spectacular. Like he started off four or five games, like completing 80% of his passes. Some of those throws against Clemson in New Orleans in the Sugar Bowl were unbelievable, and he was pretty good against Alabama. So this is someone that was the number two overall recruit uh, a few years ago behind only Trevor Lawrence, uh, was spectacular last year for the Buckeyes, had a very good season this year. And it's interesting that not only McShay, but some of the other NFL draft insiders and analysts that I mentioned Zerline, uh, Daniel Jeremiah have mocked Justin Fields a little bit lower than I expected. And I think a lot of people thought, and really it's become Zach Wilson is the consensus number two overall pick to the New York Jets. So that is not only an interesting team for the Panthers to pick Trey Lance over Justin Fields. We know that they offered Teddy Bridgewater um, to the Lions in a potential Matthew Stafford trade that never ultimately uh, happened, but it was interesting that with Justin Fields on the board, Todd McShay, and maybe he's talked to a lot of people, um, has Trey Lance going there instead of Justin Fields. And it's just going to be so hard for these teams to decide how to compare Trey Lance and Justin Fields. Justin mm-hmm. Fields has a whole other year of development of playing not just decent competition, but the best competition and looking pretty good doing so. I agree with you, though. I think that Indiana game 
really scared people off on Justin Fields because they pressured him a little. They threw him some looks that he didn't expect. There were some people out in that game. And then all of a sudden it was, uh, what do I do here? And I mean, look, that this is the case with a lot of quarterbacks that when things aren't exactly right, they're not going to be able to operate at their maximum. Um, there are other quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes where it takes literally everything going wrong, <laughs> and then he still almost made some plays in the Super Bowl to keep them in the game. I have never looked at Justin Fields like that type of quarterback, but I do think he is a safer pick where you know exactly what you're going to get, and the arm talent is absolutely legit. I think that right away he has you know top-notch arm talent in the NFL. So if you're the Atlanta Falcons, which is where Todd McShane has Justin Fields mocked to I mean you're thrilled I think because you can put him in that system wait for a year behind Matt Ryan Matt Ryan retires or you move on from him after next year you're rebuilding the rest of your roster and then you have a quarterback with top notch not only arm talent but also athleticism too he doesn't use his athleticism in quite the same way as some other scrambling quarterbacks or guys that you really fear taking off but he has it and uh, he can be a legit playmaker with it so if you're Atlanta at four I think you're saying please for this scenario please happen but I also think too if you're talking about a developmental quarterback putting him behind Teddy Bridgewater is great it's just like putting someone behind Ryan Fitzpatrick in Miami where you know the guy's going to be a class act top notch he's going to continue to do his job it's not going to bother him throw him off and he'll probably be best friends with the kid that you draft almost immediately so it's I think this right here for all three of those teams, for the Jets, for Carolina, and for Atlanta in 2-3-4, all works out perfectly for where their organizations are. Yeah, but I think, to me, it would make sense if it was kind of reversed because mm-hmm. if the Carolina yeah. Panthers do want to move on from Teddy Bridgewater and they said, hey, like we liked you, you played well, we were kind of an upstart team that was still winning five games, but a lot of people thought we were going to maybe win only a few games. We had a totally revamped defensive line uh the secondary was super young was not very good but we're ready to move on from you at the quarterback spot then pick Justin Fields and plug him in and let Trey Lance sit behind Matt Ryan I think you said it on a previous episode that bringing in Arthur Smith who runs this play action offense it's not crazy for the Falcons to actually pass on a quarterback although you and I both always preach, like, if you're picking that high, if you're in the top five and you either don't have a quarterback or your quarterback is in his late 30s or 40s, then pick a quarterback because of the value. I don't think it would be a complete failure or a mistake for the Falcons to say, hey, let's run it back with Matt Ryan, with this new offensive-minded head coach who got the most out of Ryan Tannehill, really revitalized Ryan Tannehill's career as the offensive coordinator in Tennessee that if we're going to pick a quarterback, let's let it be Trey Lance. And let's say like, there is no way this guy's going to touch a football on a Sunday this fall in 2021. We'll make the decision on that position in 2022. So yeah, I I do agree. Uh, Lance and fields and those teams, those situations are really fascinating. I'll stay uh, with my next pick at the quarterback spot. Todd McShay also has the Chicago bears trading up to number 12 overall with the San Francisco 49ers to pick Mac Jones. And if anyone has listened to this podcast before knows that I'm not crazy high on Mac Jones, although I do think 
there might be a little bit of a market inefficiency where we're all looking for these improvisational quarterbacks with crazy big arms that someone like Mac Jones, who's accurate, knows where to go with the football, but can't really move. There might be some value. I don't think there's value inside the top 15. And I certainly do not think there is a value inside the, uh, or, or for a team to be trading up to ultimately get him. And Yes, he's more experienced than Mitchell Trubisky was um, when the Bears picked him in the top three after one year of starting at North Carolina. But I, I, I think a lot of those limitations physically that Mac Jones brings to the field, I don't know if being in Chicago behind a decent, a, a okay offensive line with are you bringing back Allen Robinson or is it going to be Darnell Mooney and uh, Anthony Miller as your top pass catchers next year? That's not a situation where I think Mac Jones would ultimately thrive. It is interesting, though, too, that I talk about ranges, and, and that's what I like to take from these mocks, to have Mac Jones inside the top mm -hmm. half of the first round. I think that speaks to not just what maybe one source has told Todd McShay, but what he has gotten from a lot of other teams in the NFL. If you're a Seinfeld fan, you'll remember George Costanza saying, you want to get nuts? We can get nuts. And that's exactly what <laughs> yeah. I thought with this mock draft in the Bears. The Bears this offseason with their quarterback situation say, you want to get nuts? We'll trade a first-round <laughs> pick for Carson Wentz. We'll draft Mac Jones. We don't care. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's a very bad fit for both that I think Chicago is in a situation where they need a veteran quarterback while developing someone else, not asking someone to come right in with expectations of a general manager and coach who are basically going to put their jobs on your shoulders in year one. We saw from Tua just how big that jump can be, even when you're coming mm -hmm. from Alabama, that throwing to wide open wide receivers all the time, and um, I'm hinting a little bit at my next pick on this, but throwing to wide receivers open all the time is not how it works in the NFL, and there's a big adjustment there, and Tua might become a good quarterback at some point down the road, and the same goes for Mac Jones. He also might become a great quarterback, but if you're expecting that right away to save your rear end, I don't know, yeah. and, I, and also, wasn't their offensive line awful last year? Weren't not there, great. Right, weren't there receivers not that like special, especially if Allen Robinson goes? I mean, this just – I think with a quarterback like Mac Jones, he screams Jared Goff to me. He screams like, hey, if you can put him in with a great team, run play actions, run a lot of, you know, over routes and things like that where the guy just has to make an accurate throw 20 yards down the field, this is your guy and you can win with that. And he's got some guts. He's got a little bit of pocket presence and he's a good thrower of the ball. But – if you're looking for a franchise changer, this probably is not your guy. Someone who's going to carry other people on his shoulders. I don't think Mac Jones is a very good fit at all for the Chicago Bears, but I definitely think they would do it. Yeah, I mean, the Bears, especially with Ryan Pace coming back and Matt Nagy coming back, they might just be getting nuts this offseason, whether they trade for Carson Wentz or trade up and pick Mac Jones, or they just stay put and pick Mac Jones. But I agree with you. I, I don't think this is the spot or the, the quarterback that is going to save your job if you're one of those two people, Ryan Pace or their head coach, Matt Nagy. Uh, do you want to make your next player pick that is most fascinating before I get into my next – or your, my your next, next team, team. Yes. before yes. I get into players? Yes. So I'm going to go with the Detroit Lions at seven. Uh, right. And Todd McShay has them picking Devontae Smith. 
I think this is really interesting from the perspective of Detroit absolutely needs playmakers for sure because Kenny Galladay is leaving and Marvin Jones is leaving. They have no reason to resign with Detroit. There's already reports that Marvin Jones wants to go to LA, which, you know, that would be a great situation for them in LA. Just side note of having Robert Mm -hmm. Woods, Cooper cup and Marvin Jones, that would help Matt Stafford succeed quite a bit. And Jared Goff be like, Hey, remember when I had three great receivers and I was also (laughs) good. Anyway, that's the side. Um, Devontae Smith is already a fascinating prospect because he's built like my Greyhound, like very, very fast and very quick and yet really skinny. And I, I think um, that, he is a little bit risky for that reason because he doesn't match up with exactly the kind of specs for a first round wide receiver. You have great production, but you also had a great quarterback, great offense. It's that kind of debate again. So would they go with someone who had all the production in the world or would they go with someone else like Jalen Weddle who um, Jalen Waddle, I mean, who is unbelievable in terms of being a burner, but maybe he doesn't have quite the refinement of Devonte Smith. And I, I think that is a really tough question facing the lions. Also, if I'm Detroit, I'm, I'm saying anybody want to trade up anybody want to trade up yeah. because there are receivers all over the place. Yep. And so even if you don't want one of the top, top receivers, as you well know, the top receiver of the 2020 draft was not the number one guy off the board. I think it would be wise if Detroit is really focusing on a wide receiver for them to move back and try to take their guy. But I also don't know that Smith is going to be a top 10 receiver either. Well, I think uh, that everything that I've seen, any other mock, a few people I've talked to, like thinks that Devonte Smith is kind of locked into the top 10 oh, just really? because okay. of this. Yeah. Just because of the season that he had and that he seemed to transcend being this six foot, 175 pound wide receiver, even last year, what I do wonder, and this is where I, I, I do totally agree with you. I wonder if the down rookie seasons from Henry Ruggs and Jerry Judy, the wide receivers from Alabama who went in the first round last year, will kind of deter some teams from picking Devontae. He was more productive in his final season than Ruggs and Judy, um, but those were two, like, explosive, fast. They did a lot of the same things and and won in a lot of the same ways that Devontae Smith does, Uh, and I saw a tweet the other day that was like Devonte Smith and Jamar Chase are in their own stratosphere mm. in this wide receiver class. And then I don't think so. I agree with you. I think Jalen Waddle is right there with them. The fact that we didn't see him down the stretch, we saw him for one catch in the national title. And he looked like he clearly was not fully recovered from that ankle injury that he suffered. I think in October, um, when it comes to explosiveness and twitch change of direction yards after the catch and similar to Devonte Smith, an ability to play much bigger than his size because of his leaping ability and how good he is tracking the football down the field. I think Jalen Waddell really will transition just as quickly, if not more quickly than Devonte Smith. So I think, yeah, if the lions are sitting there, they should look to trade back. They're clearly rebuilding, even though they got Jared Goff in that trade uh, that they should be looking to trade down. But I don't think Devonte Smith is, a home run they need to pick him if Jalen Waddle is on the board it would leave Jalen Waddle to the Miami Dolphins which would be a home run pick for them with two of mm-hmm. there but I totally agree with you on I like Devontae Smith but I, I think we need to really remember that even though he didn't play the last couple months Jalen Waddle is an elite wide receiver prospect himself the next player that I want to talk about 
Um, it, different side of the ball. I need to talk about Gregory Rousseau, the defensive end, outside linebacker, edge rusher from Miami. Todd McShay has him going number 16 overall to the Arizona Cardinals. Okay, so before this season, I did kind of a just a quick glance um, over the summer to do like a top 50 list. And there was so much hype. I don't know if you were plugged into this yet. So much hype for Gregory Rousseau because as a redshirt freshman, he had like 15 and a half sacks last year and he's 6'7", 260. It's like this guy could be the number one overall pick. I watched him. I liked what I saw. I I didn't think he was necessarily Miles Garrett or Jadavian Clowney, the last two defensive ends to go number one overall. But I thought, okay, I can see it. And I feel like I've talked about this on this podcast in the past. Then I watched all the defensive ends, all the edge rushers together. And that phenomenon of watching players back to back to back to back really lets you get a good grasp on like the difference in twitchiness in pass rushing moves in hustle and power. I did not see it with Gregory Russo whatsoever. I thought the majority of his production in 2019 as a, yes, as a redshirt freshman, that was impressive was either coverage sacks where the quarterback was holding the ball for like four or five seconds, or it was schemed up where he was stunting and no one blocked him. And he had a very easy route to the quarterback. I think he rushes kind of high and at six foot seven, I don't necessarily know if I want my edge rusher to be that tall. He doesn't get super low. There's not a lot of pass rushing moves and I don't know, six, seven, two fifty five, two sixty. I think he needs to actually gain some weight to get more power. I didn't see a ton of that either. I will say though, he does seem to be like the consensus top edge rusher, maybe along with Quiddy pay uh, at this point from these big insiders with the NFL draft. So at number 16 overall to the Arizona Cardinals, I think they need someone opposite Chandler Jones. I think that was a glaring need even this past season and, and in the draft. Um, but Gregory Rousseau, I think, and I don't want to totally lambaste someone here, but that is my job to just give my opinion on these players. Uh, he's the guy that I feel like right now in early February, I'm like, he is going to be the player that I'm just not going to like universally compared to anyone else in this draft class. Gregory Rousseau, I think second, third round, I would be fine with him there because you do like the length and the size, but in terms of refinement or crazy explosiveness or bend pass rushing moves, I just didn't see it. What's interesting to me is how long it took an edge rusher to be drafted in yeah. Todd McShay's mock. I mean, 16th and Quiddy Pay goes farther down the list. Let me check here where he had Quiddy Pay. Um, sort of surprisingly at 21st to Indianapolis. And I've just had the feeling that there's kind of a, a an upper echelon of prospects. And Russo has been named in that and Quiddy Pay has been named in that. And usually considering the positional value of a defensive end that everybody wants their Nick Bosa, right? Everyone wants yep. their Shaq Barrett. Everyone wants their JPP. Um, just to connect that to the Super Bowl a little bit, that those guys can absolutely wreck games. That's always been the case, not just in the Super Bowl with the you know Chiefs having their game plan ruined by the Bucks. But I, I wonder if that would even be a little more influential to be like, yeah, maybe you should um, go get somebody who is a, a raw prospect. And I, But when you look at it, like, well, I, I don't know who I would take out of this in order to have them there. And there is the Vikings connection, of course, with me covering the Vikings, but I couldn't help but think, 
Quiddy Pay and Gregory Rousseau get past the Vikings at 14, huh? Yeah, that's I weird. don't know about that. I mean, the Vikings love their tall, lanky prospects. And Quiddy Pay, I mean, he has a body that reminds me of Everson Griffin a little bit. And so I think you got two prospects that kind of look like the guys you've had and have been successful with for a long time. So I don't know if either one of those guys is on the board, if they get past Minnesota, considering how much – they have a need for it. And, I, and you know, you've watched Rousseau more than I have, um, but I think there's always that market for, hey, look how lanky this guy is, though. You know, they really <laughs> love that about their edge rushers. And I have a tough time believing that if both of those guys are on the board, they both get past 14. One thing I will say about Rousseau is that I, I just, when it comes down to it, I don't think he's instant impact, like a Nick Bosa was mm-hmm. uh, coming out of Ohio State. Could he have spent this past entire year getting either heavier and saying, I want to be this nickel pass rusher or losing weight and saying, look at how explosive I am now, maybe. Um, But I think he could be someone like Denell Hunter or um, Rashawn Gary, who went in the first round to the Packers, had a terrible rookie season, looked like this raw guy out of Michigan that he was, uh, that a lot of his production was steamed and it was a lot of covered sacks. This past year, especially in the playoffs, Rashawn Gary was really good. I remember seeing a tweet uh, from Pro Football Focus that, like, over the last few months of the or few weeks of the season and into the playoffs, like, Rashawn Gary was like one of the top two graded edge rushers for hmm. Pro Football Focus. So, if you believe, if you're the Minnesota Vikings, like you mentioned, or maybe the Cardinals, that your defensive line coach, your head coach, is going to be able to coach up six seven two sixty five that has production in college. And yeah, I get it. I just think that with Rousseau, you are almost assured to have kind of a red shirt rookie season in the NFL because there's not a lot of power. There's not a lot of explosiveness because he is so big and the pass rushing moves really aren't there. Unless you're going to say, Hey, we're just going to use him on twists all day and hope that we can get six to eight sacks out of him. So Gregory Rousseau is really interesting. Let's jump back to the Vikings though. What do you think about Elijah Vera Tucker, kind of this hybrid Offensive tackle, offensive guard. I I know that you think defensive line is a bigger need, maybe even wide receiver. What would you think about Elijah Vera Tucker going to the Vikings at 14? And I was very surprised, by the way, in Todd McShay's mock to see that uh, Christian Barmore was taken so late. Normally, and I think this is true for the Vikings, normally teams look at those big games very close. And they say, you know, how did you perform when the lights were the brightest, when the competition was the toughest? And Christian Barmore absolutely whips some tail in, in those games. That, Unblockable. Right, the most pressure was on. I mean, the Ohio State had a good interior offensive line with multiple draft very. picks on it, and he just ripped them apart in that game. And I think that that would have him going higher. And I think that he's a great pick potentially for the Vikings. If you're, if you're gambling on the draft, which maybe people do now, I'd put him as maybe the number one potential guy. Um, But uh, when it comes to Vera Tucker, what I like about him is the flexibility that he has playing guard and tackle. And if I'm not mistaken, he was the one that moved from guard to tackle, which uh, I think is is really a good sign for him. It, it sort of shows the development of if you're moving from in to out as you go along in college, that means you're good. If you're moving from out to in, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it means they're trying to find easier <laughs> spots for you. There's that. Yeah. But it also, what really depends with the Vikings is what happens in free agency. I mean, if they decide to keep Riley Reef at left tackle, 
and they go out and sign a free agent left guard and they say, all right, we're set. Ezra Cleveland's going to play right guard. Then I don't see why they would draft another offensive lineman here because they're very much in the mode of thinking kind of year to year. So they're going to want someone who can make an impact pretty fast. That might take Gregory Russo out of it. It might have Christian Barmore more, you know, put up there or Quiddy Pay even. But that's why that's one of the reasons I, I like Barmore most for them is because he is experienced, played at Bama, can kind of put him right in there. And they hired a coach off of Bama's staff. I'm just Ooh, saying. So connect the dots. But a defensive backs coach, so maybe Patrick Sertain is in here too. But um anyway, they need an offensive lineman for sure. If they move on from Riley Reef, then offensive lineman gets slid up to um, you know, kind of the, the top there. So yes, the Vikings were on my list, by the way, of course. Um, but yeah, I think they're an interesting swing team here though, because they could also be a trade down team. If some of these defensive linemen do drop and they have a choice of, you know, two or three guys into the 20 area. Follow-up question on the Vikings. Is there a chance that in 2021, if Riley Reef is gone, that we see Ezra Cleveland at left tackle and Brian O'Neill at right tackle, or do they want to try to keep Ezra Cleveland inside. I don't want to take away from purple insider uh, topics, but it's just all these thoughts going through my head because I was a big fan of Ezra Cleveland. I think it was a disservice to him to play him at guard because he's not a guard. He's a tackle. Um, But could that maybe keep the Vikings away from going offensive tackle or offensive guard at number 14 overall? It's a great question. And I'm not sure that he's going to play tackle. I wouldn't be shocked, but from day one of training camp last year, he played guard. And yeah, I mean, I I would think if he was your future left tackle that you would have had him working at left tackle and then working in at guard in case of emergency, but they didn't, they had him at guard the entire time. So that one makes it tough for me to figure out, okay, what are they going to do with him? And the low key sneaky option, which I don't like, but I think they might consider is moving Brian O'Neill to left tackle. Mm. And I don't like it because I think he's a good right tackle and you should leave guys where they are uh, because it's hard to switch spots over an off season. But if we don't have a normal off season again, it's going to be even harder. So I I don't like that idea, but they were ready to do that. If uh, Riley Reef hadn't restructured his contract, that's what they were going to do is move O'Neal to left tackle. So there's many, many options here. If they did draft an offensive lineman at 14, um, that would go a long way, I think, to shoring up an issue that has been problematic for them since, oh, man, I mean, literally forever. Um, so they, they are, yes, one of my most interesting teams because so much will be dictated on what they do in free agency. If they go sign a huge edge rusher, well, that takes edge rusher off the board, right? So – um, yeah, that's, that's a fascinating one to me. The next prospect I want to talk about same, or let's jump to the defensive side. Number 22 overall, Todd McShay has the Tennessee Titans picking Aziz Ojulari from Georgia, the edge rusher. He's a player. I, I paid attention to him throughout the season. The SEC basically got a, a full season, uh, liked him. I saw some early buzz didn't, and then watched him. In early January, I liked what I saw, but then when I went through in like later January, all the offense or all the edge rushers at the same time or kind of back to back, I was blown away by the difference in Ojulari's explosiveness, his bend. Not that he has five or six pass rushing moves, but just enough to be able to counter off that outside speed rush and his closing speed to the quarterback. To me, right now, he seems like the edge rusher 
which again, Todd McShay has him number 22 overall to the Tennessee Titans. I think he's going to fly up boards. I, I mean, we're not going to get the combine, obviously. I think he's going to test through the roof at the Georgia Pro Day, whenever that is, sometime in March, I'm assuming. Um, and just looks like that Shaq Barrett type of edge rusher that is not going to take five minutes and five different pass rushing moves to get to the quarterback. He is a Ferrari out of the garage that can bend the corner, can get strip sacks because he is using that high outside speed rush. He's a player that I it was just interesting to see him kind of this low in the first round because his traits just stand out to me. And I think just from looking back at, at those risers in previous draft classes, I think Ojulari is the one that we're going to be talking about. Like he's going to go top 15 when it's all said and done. So Ojulari is one of those where we go, wonder what he weighs. Let's find yeah, out what he weighs. Yeah. Because if he weighs over X amount, I don't know where you want to put it, 250, 240, 250, 250 yeah, 245, 250, yeah. Can he be an every down 4-3 edge rusher is always the question here. If it's if he's like the, the in-between kind of guy, the Yannick Ngakwe type of guy who has to kind of stand up out there and sometimes he rushes the passer and sometimes not – yeah, okay. I mean, you, you're kind of scheme-specific at that point. The Preston Smith would be another one. You're scheme-specific. You're going to work for some teams and not for others, and that limits who can draft you. If you weigh 255 or something, I don't know what he's listed at, but uh, it's probably not that. If you weigh somewhere in that ballpark of you can actually stuff the run and have your hand in the dirt, then he's got a chance because he looks to me like you mentioned Russo as being a guy who is really raw and needs to learn a ton. I think Ojulari is kind of the opposite where he's yep. somebody who could step in and make an impact right away. And what I think is interesting with him too, and I, I agree with your points that teams will, certain teams and most teams actually will have like a, a weight threshold. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's interesting with him is that, and I don't know how much you've watched him, but I've watched quite a bit. I watched basically all of his film from 2020 he reminds me of Von Miller. I, I don't think he's as powerful as Von Miller was coming out of Texas A&M. That was, to me, really the trump card, thinking back a decade ago, um, that Von Miller was this undersized, speedy edge rusher that could bull rush SEC tackles, or I think at the time, Big 12 tackles. Um, that that's really what set him over the top and made him the number two overall pick. And I'll never forget when the Broncos picked him at number two overall, uh, they were running a four three, and that was like still kind of the time when, with NFL analysis, it was like if you're in a four three, he's a linebacker, he's not a defensive end, and that was like that was the one like concern that people had, like what are they doing with Von Miller in this four three? He's not an off ball linebacker. I think Ojulari is maybe like what Von Miller was like the year, like two years before he came out, because he does not have power to his game, but the twitch the explosion are remarkable. And Von Miller was 6'3", 246 at the 2011 combine. So he was maybe just under that threshold. I think he was a special talent. And I'm not going to say that Ojulari is Von Miller 2.0, but I think he gives you a lot of the same explosiveness. And that's kind of really why I think even if he is like 242 or 246, 248, if he doesn't hit that 250 threshold and is a little bit shorter, he could actually go a little bit higher um, in the draft, even too if he's not 
super powerful and teams aren't feeling comfortable with him setting the edge on early downs. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the other thing too is we were talking about trends the other day. And I've been thinking about this just in terms of guys who can set the edge and how it's such an old school thing that it is. even I lean toward like, ah, come on, set the edge. Who cares? Set quarterback. <laughs> yeah. However, if the league does shift to having to have two more deep safeties, then defensive ends who set the edge are pretty important. And this is where you have concerns. Does the guy end up as a situational rusher as opposed to a three down rusher if he can't? do that because then teams will absolutely run at you. One thing that we find is we make fun of teams for making mistakes and punting at the other team's 38 and stuff like that. But generally they don't miss a whole lot when it comes to scheming, not the good teams. So if they know you have one weakness, they will attack the heck out of it. And so if you have a defensive end who can be overpowered by a 320 pound tackle on in the run game, they're going to go at that and they're going to go at that all the time. And so that's, even though I do think that the outside linebacker defensive end thing is a little bit overrated because like, who's playing a three, four, <laughs> I mean, not many, you know, teams. right. Yeah. I mean, the, the linebacker, the, uh, you know, the four linebackers from the Pittsburgh Steelers, like uh, Jason Gilden and LeVon Kirkland are not coming back. So it's really about who can come off the edge. But I just think that's a, a, an interesting thing to sort of think about and where he could go if there's some concern. My next team is the New York Jets, but not for number two. Number two really does seem to be leaning heavy Zach Wilson. So if it's anyone yeah. else, it would almost be a surprise. But it's actually for 23. And it's Travis Etienne is who Todd McShay has them taking. And if they take Travis Etienne with this pick, I'm just going to exaggerate here for entertainment purposes. Zach Wilson should ask for a trade. I mean this. <laughs> he, should, he should say, no, 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 no. I can't play for an organization that just watched the Chiefs mess up by picking Clyde Edward Hilaire and watched – you know, Lenny Fournette play for the box after being released when everyone thought he was this unstoppable player. And even watching uh, someone like Christian McCaffrey, who is that dynamic, but get injured after touching the ball a bunch of times. If you guys watched all that happen and then still pick a running back when I need receivers, I need linemen, I need defensive play. I need everything on this roster. Then you guys are nuts and you should not do that. So I, I think, this is realistic from Todd McShay, but also would be bananas if a, the New York Jets with so many needs went with a running back. Well, this was your pick, but just to speak on that for a second, in his write-up, Todd McShay basically said like kind of the old school uh, justification for this. Like, hey, the Jets get their quarterback at number two, and then they pick their franchise running back at 23 overall. Todd McShay is a relatively young guy. I think he understands like picking a running back as your as the focal point of your offense in round one is not the smartest thing to do. I think this is what he is hearing mm. from some of these older GMs yeah. and, yep. and and scouting directors that are like, "Hey, you got to get this young Zach Wilson kid some weapons. So draft the running back from Clemson. He's really explosive. Which he's a great player. He's he's a fine prospect. He's probably going to be the number one prospect in at the running back spot on most of the team's boards. But I totally agree with you that at 23 and with the other running backs that there are in this class, Najee Harris going later in the first round. Um, there's Javante Williams from North Carolina. There's Demetric Felton, who we talked about from UCLA. There's Michael Carter from North Carolina. Like it would just be a bad uh, allocation of a second pick 
in round one. And I was going to talk about ETN too, just because of what Todd McShay's write up, like how it read that it was like, I wonder if like he literally has had conversations with people, maybe mm-hmm. down at the senior bowl. And they said, Hey, yeah, the jets, whatever they can do. If, if the receivers are gone, pick that running back from Clemson. Like that's just such an old school thought process. And I think, again, that's why it's important to look at these mock drafts and yeah, we're, we're spending an entire podcast talking about it, but to not make fun of it, but say, Hey, no, Todd McShay talks to people. He knows uh, or has as good of a grasp as you can have on the ranges for some of these prospects. And I will say a lot of the other insiders that have started their mock 1.0, 2.0 early on in draft season have had ETN like inside the top 30, top 25. Mm-hmm. So don't be surprised if that's what ultimately happens on draft night. I want to talk about one other player because we have not mentioned his name once yet on the prospect podcast, Joe Tryon from Washington, the edge rusher. He had eight and a half sacks and 12 tackles for loss in 2019, but then decided to opt out before the season. And when he opted out, like the pac 12 wasn't even going to have a season. Then they had like a short one later. Um, I remember watching him on film and I had him graded in the second round. So it, this is not crazy. Number 31 overall to the Kansas city chiefs. I don't know if the Chiefs have, like, I don't know if their biggest need is on the edge. I think Frank Clark's been a disappointment. They can't really get rid of him. He has a huge cap number in 2021. They probably need a a 1A or 1B to him. Um, But we haven't really seen this name in a lot of uh, mock drafts early on. I think Daniel Jeremiah also had Joe Tryon there. He's 6'5", 260-ish. Very fluid athlete. I, I don't think he's super twitchy or his acceleration off the snap is outstanding, but like very effortless with the inside move uses a nice swipe move to beat blockers to the outside. So I could see him being, and I said it on the last episode, there's always three or four surprising picks later in round one. I could see Joe Tryon being that player. I think the low hanging fruit is the chiefs need to address offensive line. I really think they do that. Most of the players that were in the Super Bowl trying to block for Patrick Mahomes are set to be free agents. Yeah. And Mitchell Schwartz is in 2022, and he's in his 30s. And Eric Fisher's 30 years old, coming off an Achilles injury. So I think offensive tackle will be their top priority. Um, they don't have a ton of cap space either. But Joe Tryon is a name I think people need to know in what I believe is a pretty deep edge rusher class, the kid from Washington. And Kansas City needs to either take one of two approaches. They need to look at it and say, who can kind of add to what we have so we can run it back again and be in the Super Bowl again and give us a better chance? Or who do we have leaving us in the next couple of years that we need Mm -hmm. to look down the road at? And you mentioned Frank Clark. They got to play him. There's no other option there. But you could draft a guy at his position and bring him along, and he can give you something, and you could develop him and so forth and have him as your replacement down the road. But if you're looking for somebody who can help you right now, you know what's weird about Kansas City? And, And I didn't think I would feel this way. I really felt like they just had two options of players to throw to and Tampa Bay focused on shutting down Tyree kill and Travis Kelsey. And that, and that was it. And they Mahomes didn't have other places to go because Nicole Hardman is just not that good of a receiver. Um, Demarcus Robinson is not that good of a receiver. Like they just didn't have players like Tampa Bay did that were coming on, you know, off the bench 
and Scotty Miller runs a 4-3. It just didn't feel like they had that extra depth there. So the possibility of maybe looking into an extra playmaker here that can help them right away, even though that feels weird since they've got fast people all over. But when you play the best of the best, they're going to try to take away your Travis Kelsey. That's going to be the main goal. Mm -hmm. That'll be interesting, and it will be interesting to see if they are heavily influenced by the offensive line performance. But that's not something that would help you right away. Right away, if you have to use free agency or you have to use development from other players if they want to have a better offensive line for next year. So even though they are 31st, the way that they lost will be talked about for so long that I wonder if that's an influence when they go into this draft. Yeah, it was very the Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill show that got completely shut down. And Sammy Watkins is set to hit free agency. So is Demarcus Robinson. I agree that I, I think Nico Hardman is a gadget guy at best. And the last thing they want to do is start to take away or not give Patrick Mahomes as many weapons. And, and, and that's not to say that if they don't have the same amount of weapons in 2021 and beyond that Mahomes will be a bad quarterback, but the offense had been so efficient because even when Tyreek Hill wasn't playing because he was suspended, they were able to do a lot of different things. Um, so I think wide receiver tight end would not be out of the question. I mean, Travis Kelsey is coming off the best, tight end season in NFL history in terms of yards, but he is 31 years old. Like he and Rob Gronkowski, that tweet was going around all Super Bowl season that, or Super Bowl week that they are the same age. Like it's not crazy for them to plan ahead at the skill positions, but it's just interesting that Todd McShay has them going edge rusher and has them picking Joe Tryon, the edge rusher from Washington. Uh, I'm going to cheat a little bit here with my last one. Every team in this mock that is past Chicago trading up for Mac Jones and what they will do at quarterback because Mac Jones is definitely a bunch of teams other plan. It's, uh-oh, we got left out of free agency in the trade market. We're the Indianapolis Colts. But if we come away with Mac Jones, our fans are going to be really excited to have a rookie quarterback mm-hmm. and we'll put him in our nice system and have him throw check downs to Naheem Hines and we'll all be happy. Uh, but if, five quarterbacks are gone then what happens to teams that need quarterbacks and and want to draft quarterbacks I don't know if someone's reaching for Kyle Trask at that point there are other guys that are out there that could be second round picks or third round picks but I want to know which team gets left out of the quarterback party entirely and they're at the end of the draft they're like Jacob Eason is great. We love his arm strength. You know, right? I mean, this yeah. this could be remarkable. Yeah, and there certainly seems like there will be teams. I mean, although Adam Schefter does think that there could be 18 uh, teams that have new quarterbacks, but chances are there are going to be some teams, I think, like the Colts, um, maybe even the Pittsburgh Steelers if things yeah. can't work out with Ben Roethlisberger or if they're just like, we need to draft his or find his successor. Um, as soon as possible. What about the Washington football team? I know they just signed Tyler Heineke yesterday, but uh, I don't know if they view him as the as the future of the franchise. There's been some rumblings about Derek Carr maybe getting traded. Maybe it's Marcus Mariota. Do the uh, the the head coach and the GM there, John Gruden and Mike Mayock, really believe in the the long term future for Derek Carr? There will probably be a team, and it would not surprise me if ultimately one of the surprising picks late in the first round or outside of the top half 
of round one is that, oh my God, Kyle Trask went in the first round or Kellen mm-hmm. Mond went in the first round Come because on, we yeah. always, yeah, we always see the surprising picks later. And unless there are seven different trades for quarterbacks, um, I think Sneaky just, just, just popped into my head. Unless the New Orleans Saints signed Jameis Winston, and I know Sean Payton came out recently and said like, you know, had a glowing review of Jameis Winston, even though he picked Taysom Hill to start over Jameis Winston. Right. The Saints, with their cap situation, I they are in a very difficult spot. Maybe Jameis Winston would re-sign with them. If I was Jameis Winston, I would say, you signed me to a one-year, $1 million deal. Right. Then you embarrass the hell out of me by starting Taysom Hill over me. Uh, I would say get lost and, and, and try to go somewhere else. So the Saints could be that team that makes that surprising pick at the quarterback spot. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, Todd McShay has them taking an offensive tackle. And, yeah, that's a pick for the future for them that they'll need mm-hmm. um, with Tron Armstead getting up there, and he's had some injuries that he's dealing with. But, you know, they're also a team that loves to trade on draft day too. So if Mac Jones has fallen into their territory, then do they decide to trade up? So, yeah, I mean, that is, I'll admit, a cheating or cop-out type of final pick of literally every team that doesn't have a quarterback on here becomes interesting to me. But I agree with you. If I'm Jameis Winston, I'm I'm calling Washington and be like, how much cap space do you have? Um Although I, I also am not convinced that Jameis Winston is really an NFL starter, but teams are so desperate, I guess we'll see. So there, there you have it. I love, I got to tell you, you started off by saying like, hey, you know, breaking down mocks, whatever. I love breaking down mocks. I think yeah, this will not be the last time. Yes, this will no, not be the last time be. we do this. Absolutely For sure. not. Every time, like when there is a mock from one of those insiders that I mentioned, uh, Lance Zerline, Daniel Jeremiah, even Bucky Brooks, Peter Schrager, and certainly the ESPN guys, we will dedicate a podcast to it because I think as we get through free agency, maybe we get some trades over the next couple of weeks. I think we will. I think the NFL wants us to be getting news when we're not going to have a combine. I don't think the commissioner or the owners like the, for there to really be any dead period besides mm-hmm. June yep. um, that we'll start to see these things crystallize a little bit. And like, oh, the Washington football team traded for this quarterback, so they're out of the quarterback market. We'll definitely run through those. So that's all we have for tonight. For Matthew Collar, I'm Chris Trapasso. Thank you for listening to the Prospect Podcast.